0: Chapter Sixteen Part One of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P. T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P. T. Barnum. Chapter Sixteen. Return to America, Part I. 1. One of my main objects in returning home at this time was to obtain a longer lease of the premises occupied by the American Museum. My lease had still three years to run, but Mr. Olmstead, the proprietor of the building, was dead, and I was anxious to make provisions in time for the perpetuity of my establishment, for I meant to make the museum a permanent institution in the city and if I could not renew my lease, I intended to build an appropriate edifice on Broadway. I finally succeeded, however, in getting the lease of the entire building, covering 56 feet by 100 for 25 years at an annual rent of $10,000 and the ordinary taxes and assessments. I had already hired in addition the upper stories of three adjoining buildings. My museum receipts were more in one day, than they formerly were in an entire week, and the establishment had become so popular that it was thronged at all hours from early morning to closing time at night. On my return, I promptly made use of General Tom Thumb's European reputation. He immediately appeared in the American Museum, and for four weeks drew such crowds of visitors as had never been seen there before. He afterwards spent a month in Bridgeport with his kindred, To prevent being annoyed by the curious who would be sure to throng the houses of his relatives, he exhibited two days at Bridgeport. The receipts, amounting to several hundred dollars, were presented to the Bridgeport Charitable Society. The Bridgeporters were much delighted to see their old friend, Little Charlie, again. They little thought, when they saw him playing about the streets a few years previously, that he was destined to create such a sensation among the crown heads of the old world and now returning with his european reputation he was of course a great curiosity to his former acquaintances as well as to the public generally his bridgeport friends found that he had not increased in size during the four and a half years of his absence but they discovered that he had become sharp and witty abounding in foreign airs and native graces in fact, that he was quite unlike the little diffident country fellow whom they had formerly known. "'We never thought Charlie much of a phenomenon when he lived among us,' said one of the first citizens of the place. But now that he has become barnamized, he is a rare curiosity. But there was really no mystery about it. The whole change made by training and travel had appeared to me by degrees, and it came to the citizens of Bridgeport suddenly.' The terms upon which I first engaged the lad showed that I had no over sanguine expectations of his success as a speculation. When I saw, however, that he was wonderfully popular, I took the greatest pains to engraft upon his native talent all the instruction he was capable of receiving. He was an apt pupil, and I provided for him the best teachers. Travel and attrition with so many people in so many lands did the rest. The General left America three years before a diffident, uncultivated little boy. He came back an educated, accomplished little man. He had seen much, and had profited much. He went abroad poor, and he came home rich. On January one, eighteen forty-five, my engagement with the General at a salary ceased, and we made a new arrangement by which we were equal partners, the General, or his father, for him, taking one half of the profits. A reservation, however, was made of the first four weeks after arrival in New York, during which he was to exhibit at my museum for two hundred dollars. When we returned to America, the general's father had acquired a handsome fortune, and settling a large sum upon the little general personally, he placed the balance at interest secured by bond and mortgage, accepting thirty thousand dollars, with which he purchased land near the city limits of Bridgeport, and erected a large and substantial mansion, where he resided till the day of his death, and in which his only two daughters were married, one in 1850, the other in 1853. His only son, besides the general, was born in 1851. All of the family, except little Charlie, are of the usual size. After spending a month in visiting his friends, it was determined that the general and his parents should travel through the United States. I agreed to accompany them with occasional intervals of rest at home, for one year sharing the profits equally as in England. We proceeded to Washington City, where the General held his levies in April 1847, visiting President Polk and Lady at the White House, thence to Richmond, returning to Baltimore and Philadelphia. Our receipts in Philadelphia in twelve days were $5,594.91, The tour for the entire year realized about the same average. The expenses were from $25 to $30 per day. From Philadelphia, we went to Boston, Lowell, and Providence. Our receipts on one day in the latter city were $976.97. We then visited New Bedford, Fall River, Salem, Worcester, Springfield, Albany, Troy, Niagara Falls, Buffalo, and intermediate places, and in returning to New York, we stopped at the principal towns on the Hudson River. After this, we visited New Haven, Hartford, Portland, Maine, and intermediate towns. I was surprised to find that during my long absence abroad, I had become almost as much of a curiosity to my patrons as I was to the spinster from Maine, who once came to see me and to attend the services in my lecture room. If I showed myself about the museum, or wherever else I was known, I found eyes peering and figures pointing at me, and could frequently overhear the remark, There's Barnum! On one occasion, soon after my return, I was sitting in the ticket office, reading a newspaper. A man came and purchased a ticket of admission. Is Mr. Barnum in the museum? he asked. The ticket seller, pointing to me, answered, This is Mr. Barnum. Supposing the gentleman had business with me, I looked up from the paper. Is this Mr. Barnum? he asked. It is, I replied. He stared at me for a moment, and then, throwing down his ticket, exclaimed, It's all right, I have got the worth of my money, and away he went without going into the museum at all. In November 1847, we started for Havana, taking the steamer from New York to Charleston, where the general exhibited, as well as at Columbia, Augusta, Savannah, Milledgeville, Macon, Columbus, Montgomery, Mobile, and New Orleans. At this latter city, we remained three weeks, including Christmas and New Year's. We arrived in Havana by schooner Adams Gray in January 1848 and were introduced to the Captain General and the Spanish nobility. We remained a month in Havana, and Matanzas, the general proving an immense favorite. In Havana, he was the especial pet of Count Santovania. In Matanzas, we were very much indebted to the kindness of a princely American merchant, Mr. Brinkerhoff. Mr. J. S. Thresher, the American patriot and gentleman, was also of great assistance to us and placed me under deep obligations. The hotels in Havana are not good. An American who is accustomed to substantial living finds it difficult to get enough to eat. We stopped at the Washington house, which at that time was first-rate bad. It was filthy and kept by a woman who was drunk most of the time. Several Americans boarded there who were regular gourmandizers. One of them, seeing a live turkey on a New Orleans vessel, purchased and presented it to the landlady. It was a small one, and when it was carved, there was not enough of it to go round. An American, a large six-footer and a tremendous eater, who resided on a sugar plantation near Havana, happened to sit near the carver, and seeing an American turkey so near him, and feeling that it was a rare dish for that latitude, kept helping himself so that when the carving was finished, he had eaten about one half of the turkey. Unfortunately, the man who bought it was sitting at the farther end of the table, and did not get a taste of the coveted bird. He was indignant, especially against the innocent gourmandizer from the sugar plantation, who, of course, was not acquainted with the history of the turkey. When they rose from the table, the planter smacked his lips and, patting his stomach, remarked, "'That was a glorious turkey. I have not tasted one before these two years. I am very fond of them, and when I go back to my plantation, I mean to commence raising turkeys.' If you don't raise one before you leave town, you'll be a dead man, said the disappointed poultry purchaser. From Havana we went to New Orleans, where we remained several days, and from New Orleans we proceeded to St. Louis, stopping at the principal towns on the Mississippi River, and returning via Louisville, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. We reached the latter city early in May 1848. From this point it was agreed between Mr. Stratton and myself that I should go home and henceforth travel no more with the little general. I had competent agents who could exhibit him without my personal assistance, and I preferred to relinquish a portion of the profits rather than continue to be a traveling showman. I had now been a straggler from home most of the time for thirteen years, and I cannot describe the feelings of gratitude with which I reflected that having by the most arduous toil and deprivation succeeded in securing a satisfactory competence i should henceforth spend my days in the bosom of my family i was fully determined that no pecuniary temptation should again induce me to forego the enjoyments to be secured only in the circle of home i reached my residence in bridgeport connecticut in the latter part of may rejoiced to find my family and friends in good health and delighted to find myself once more at home my new home which was then nearly ready for occupancy was the well-known iranistan more than two years had been employed in building this beautiful residence in eighteen forty six finding that fortune was continuing to favor me I began to look forward eagerly to the time when I could withdraw from the whirlpool of business excitement and settle down permanently with my family, to pass the remainder of my days in comparative rest. I wished to reside within a few hours of New York. I had never seen more delightful locations than there are upon the borders of Long Island Sound between New Rochelle, New York, and New Haven, Connecticut, and my attention was therefore turned in that direction. Bridgeport seemed to be about the proper distance from the great metropolis. It is pleasantly situated at the terminus of two railroads, which traverse the fertile valleys of the Naugatuck and Housatonic rivers. The New York and New Haven Railroad runs through the city, and there is also daily steamboat communication with New York. The enterprise which characterized the city seemed to mark it as destined to become the first in the state in size and opulence, and I was not long in deciding, with the concurrence of my wife, to fix our future residence in that vicinity. End of chapter 16, part 1. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.